Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. In the studio today, I got a buddy of mine, a local guy here from Vegas, but also a guy whose cars you've seen out there, his family vehicles, uh, my friend Justin Stevens from the Beetle Barn. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. So, <laughs> that's his sexy voice, apparently. So, I've got, uh, uh, so let me give you a little background on Justin, because you probably, um, if you haven't seen uh, any of the stuff that Justin's family's built throughout the years for his family trips. You may remember the limousine bus that said Beetle Barn down the side. That was the bus that his dad built in, was it the 70s your dad built that bus or 60s? The bus was the late 60s. So he had a limousine bus built in, Lake, in the late 60s. He also had uh, an extended, a crew cab with a longer than a single cab bed on it. It was a little bit longer than an actual single cab, I think. Yeah, it was two feet out of the uh, double cab, yeah. So two bed, feet, and then a full length uh, single cab bed. Yeah. So you may have seen that. That's now currently in Christian Grunman's um, museum, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he Oldendorf, I think, is where. He yeah. He he hauls a Formula V car with that. My buddy Justin's grown up his whole life around Volkswagens. Uh, started working at his dad's shop when he was just a kid. Evolved into eventually taking it over in his 30s. I think bought the business from his parents and then. Started going on from there, but what I wanted to get into was kind of the history of growing up in a VW family. What was? Give me the story of Beetle Barn. Let's start with that. It's probably the, that's the oldest Volkswagen shop in Las Vegas, right? I think so. Nobody. I mean, there's no one else that's around that was around when your dad started the business in 1959. Uh, okay, so you're going on 60 years. Yeah. So 60 years now. So give, give me the give me the story, the history of Beetle Barn in a nutshell. That's a long story. Well, that's why I said it's <laughs> four threes. I said in a nutshell. So um, basically, my dad was uh, in the Air Force and always been mechanically minded, um, always working extra jobs to try to get ahead. So he took a night job at Sunland Motors uh, servicing. I think it was 1957 around there and uh, worked in the service department and did really well. The uh, um, after leave or after being fired from Sunland because he was building off-road vehicles at home, and the Germans the Germans don't like you messing with their cars, right? <laughs> so he got fired, um, and people started seeking him out because he was such a stickler for details, uh, doing little extra things, and people just really appreciated the extra effort. So. So he was so he was kind of working there by proxy of like being into the off road scene. And thought, well, heck, I'll just get a job at the VW place and it's already kind of tinker with him. Or no, actually, the it came after. It started accidentally. He he bought a Volkswagen a fifty eight Volkswagen panel bus because he was doing carpentry work. So he we used that as his work truck. Um, <clears throat> broke the ring and pinion, the head off the ring and pinion um, one morning because he drove delivery for Anderson Dairy. So early in the morning, milk truck wouldn't start. He tried to push it with the bus, broke the head off the, uh, the pinion, and went to the dealership, Sunland, and asked, uh, it was Jerry Allred at the time, who was um, in the parts department, I said, I need to get this part. And Jerry said, you can't change it. You have to have special tools to change it. He says, you worry about getting me the part. I'll worry about changing the part. So a couple of weeks go by, the part comes in, dad picks it up, 
And a few weeks go by after having the transmission disassembled on the kitchen table for a week or so. Gets it back together, drives it to the dealership and says, hey, do you want to drive that car that you said I couldn't fix? And so he takes him for a drive. It works perfectly. And they said, uh, offered him a job on the spot. You want a job? And um, so he started working there. Um, after they fired him, he just went back to all the other jobs he has. He was at the time a flight mechanic out at Nellis. Yeah. Uh, that was his main job. So he um, <clears throat> noticed people passing by his house out there in the Nellis area, which at the time there was nobody out there. It was just desert. And people from, you know, customers from Sunland were actually driving to try to find him. And he began servicing cars behind the house in a, a Quonset hut that he had erected. And from there, um, he got a place, rented a place after Sunland called the county on him. He rented a place on uh, uh, 30th Street near Charleston and Mojave, where the old uh, Montgomery Wards used to be. Yeah. And started there, moved to a bigger shop farther down. And then in 1985, he built the uh, uh, 7,000 square foot building out on Judson near his home. Mm hmm. And began servicing there, and that was where I bought the place in '98, and he so retired. You, so you bought the business in '98. Dad retired, and then you started taking over. But <clears throat> and that's a really cool story that your dad was able to be so determined and mechanically inclined that he decided to fix the car himself. I also see a little bit of my friend Justin in the story where you told that he tried to push the milk truck with the bus. It seems like something that you would do. So, uh, <laughs> the <laughs> apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but, uh, you know, that's, that's a, it's, it's a great story of <clears throat> like technology back then in the day, you know, cars, mechanical cars, cars were like a mystery to most people back in the fifties and sixties. It was like, yeah, you don't even touch that because you gotta be specialized and all this kind of stuff. And then for your dad to jump in and do that, that's pretty awesome. Then it evolves into a business because there's a need for it. And then, starts his own company, and then it becomes a family business. Now, all you remember since you're a kid, because obviously you are born same year I was in 1972, and so um, you, you're born into dad's already owning a shop. Dad's a mechanic. That's just what he does. He owns the Beetle Barn, and Volkswagens are everything and anything. So what's funny is I know that you, uh, in your yard – there were all kinds of special contraptions back then. I mean, I saw like a, a home-built stacker trailer that carried a bunch of dune buggies. And I actually just met a guy recently that told me <clears throat> this guy's last name was Impy. So I talked to this guy, but it was spe it's spelled different, right? So guy, I know, doctor. And I said, oh, Impy like the Volkswagen. He goes, oh, you know, so we get talking about Volkswagen. He goes, yeah, you know, this guy, you ever heard of the Beetle Barn? I said, yeah, I heard of the Beetle Barn. I said, uh. Uh, I kind of know some people, you know what I mean? Dropping names. And he goes, man, he says that Warren Stevens, which is your dad, that Warren Stevens used to take us out on scouting stuff to the sand dunes and all this kind of stuff. And we'd have to go there and build and work, work on the cars and all this kind of stuff. And he says, man, it was the best time ever doing scouting. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because, you know, your dad had stuff like that. Your dad had wild, I mean, like you name it you had it in that yard, you know, yeah. funky cars, fiberglass molds, all kinds of stuff. And, and it, it seems that your dad was a pretty heavy tinker, but also a guy that was like, well, we're, we can't buy it. Let's just build it. You know what I mean? Like 
the limo bus, right? So what's the story behind the limo bus? Uh, well, he's a large family. You know, we had, uh, had f- uh, one brother and four sisters, so there's six kids. So going anywhere as a family, which my dad is a big fan of taking family trips and uh, keeping everybody in the summertime having a good time. And so uh, what could you buy that was cheap? It would cart that many people around comfortably. You couldn't. So even a standard bus was too small for us to sleep in. So he got this harebrained idea and built it up. I got pictures of it um, at a lake somewhere in Utah. Uh, but when he finally painted, painted it, it was gorgeous, you know, metallic blue with yellow lettering. And uh, he even got Bob Spina, uh, who pinstriped the whole thing. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, Bob's a really famous pinstriper. Um, but the, the, that was his group. I mean, he ran around with those people. He would, they were all his pals, and it was a tight-knit group of people who customized cars and Nice. In Vegas, because what was only a hundred thousand people back then. So did your dad actually build the? But he actually welded it together. He did all the work. Oh on yeah, it? oh yeah. He uh, and possibly my uncle Ellis, uh, his bro- brother who's ten years his junior, uh, worked for him for a long time. And Ellis actually went to body shop a school. I think he went to Botuck actually. Botuck. Yeah. Um, but my dad was self-taught in just about everything. He would. He was a genius, and still is. Um, he really uh, just could figure anything mechanically out. He was gifted. Uh, he was like a less dramatic sling blade, uh, right. more intelligent version of sling blade <laughs> for the Volkswagen world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he could just look at something. You could describe it, and he would listen and go, oh, I know what that is. Yeah. And fix it. So you grow up. In the VW scene, dune buggies, off-road cars, all that kind of stuff is just kind of like, it's just part of your life. You were not exposed to it. You're born into it. Um, did your did your dad, was your dad involved in any of the off-road racing in the early days, like Mint 400, stuff like that? Did your dad have any involvement in that stuff? Oh, yeah. He, from the beginning, he was there. When off-road race cars were nothing more than a pan, a main hoop, and a front hoop, and a bar between them, and that was it. And they would race open car like that. And we've got pictures of him in his race cars. And he began building race cars for other people. Greg Heinrich, mm-hmm. um, he built his off-road race cars um, and his engines. And um, he was the go-to guy. And they were very successful. He won many races, uh, including the Baja 500 uh, overall. And then he won the Baja 1000 in his class. Really? And uh, it was 1972, I think, was the year that happened uh but lots of silver dollar race out here in vegas um the roundy round race that was out where some summerlin is now dominated it his driver bob johnson craziest guy i had ever met as a child um it literally chain smoking frantic manic energy uh he would have two cigarettes lit and not even know it and he's just puffing from both hands and (laughs) <laughs> but this guy was a lunatic, and he would just drive that car and dominate. Nice. It's just crazy. But uh, So he was involved in the off-road racing. And then, so you threw, so what's it, so your dad owns a VW shop. What's your first car? And and was your first car like, oh, I got to have a stupid Volkswagen because <laughs> my dad has, is a Volkswagen shop? Or were you an enthusiast before that? Or did it did it kind of grow on you because you were kind of in the, you know, like you're born into it. So it's like, 
you're born into something that's everybody else thinks cool. You're like, this is lame or whatever. I mean, what's, what's, what's your introduction into getting your first car? How does how does that all evolve? And then were you excited? Did it have to be a Volkswagen? I mean, what's the, what's the story? Well, yeah, we always had Volkswagens uh, as our passenger cars. You know, he had Chevy trucks was his work thing, but um, my first car was a uh, 1972 Super Beetle. Mm-hmm. My dad had restored it, uh, done a lot of work to it, and the story from him is the guy didn't pay his bill and pick up the car, so he leaned it, and he let me drive it, and it was clean, brand new paint job, orange plaid interior. Nice. Yeah, this took the little bus plaid and used it for the seats. So for you, was it just like it's just a car at that time when you were first getting into it, or what? No, I love Volkswagens. You know, we we were told that Volkswagens is the best engineered car in the world and you know in the 70s think about it they were the most popular car right so i believe they were i really kind of leaned more towards porsche uh i don't know if you've ever seen the blockbuster movie condor man Mm -hmm. but uh that right there solidified my love of porsche Uh, nice but volkswagen is what i had to settle for sure sure and i know so uh, a, a little bit of history on Justin and I. So I met Justin. It's got to be, it's got to be at least 40 years ago. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> it, it's got to be about 15, 15 or 17 years ago. Maybe we know each other that long, but uh, probably about uh, maybe 15 years ago is when we first met. Yeah. And uh, over at Finley Volkswagen. Yeah. And, and so, and so I met, I, I meet Justin and then I go over to Beetle Barn. Beetle Barn is over on the north side of town. So it's the older side of town. I mean, unless you're going to the Air Force Base, you're really not on that side of town because it's not going anywhere. Um, unless you're going to the Air Force Base or leaving town. town. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and, and, it, and it's not even off the freeway. The freeway ever since Nellis used to be kind of a main drag and then the freeway came in and nobody stopped, everybody stopped kind of going down Nellis. But uh, I remember going over there and, uh, meeting Justin and kind of seeing the yard and just seeing so many stinking, you know, VWs and 911s and 912s and just all kinds of old abandoned cars that people brought in to get some stuff. And this is, you know, 15 years ago before a lot of the stuff was popular and you had double cabs and single cabs mm. and all kinds of stuff in the yard. And it was, uh, it was, it was interesting because to see that much stuff here in Las Vegas and it's still, still being around. Um, and one of the things that maybe, some of the podcasters might not know is that uh, a lot of uh, our buddy Chris Cox, who passed away, mm. you know, a couple of years ago, Chris would come out to Justin's yard and just buy up all the gold. And because Justin was was kind of just working in the scene, and he wasn't really into like he had Volkswagens for a car, and wasn't you know, I, I th- and I think it maybe it wasn't like a you weren't super connected to like the scene. You know what I mean? You, you didn't know what was hot and cool and what was collectible and all that kind of stuff. And Chris would be there like, yeah, I'll buy this or I'll buy that. And just, you know, would come out and kind of pick the yard and he'd pick all the impy goods and all kinds of stuff that was getting popular at the time. And meanwhile, for you, it's just stuff that's been sitting out in the yard for so long. But a lot of the stuff that probably ended up on the collector's market, a lot of it came from the Beetle Barn, from the yeah. yard over there. I mean, I can't remember how much... You know, I think, I think talking to Chris one time, I think he said he came and he came through your place and bought out stuff like two and three times, just oh yeah, picking all kinds of cool stuff. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, we're there and, and for you, it's kind of like, this is my job. It's what I do. Another dead car, put it in the back, you know, like, put it in the back of the other 300, you know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> there's hun- literally, there was hundreds of cars back there oh, yeah, hundreds. and, 
um, you know, so for you, it would be, it would almost be like a burden, like another pebble in your shoe and another, just one more thing, one more car. And it's bittersweet for sure. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? But what's super cool is there's so much of that history was saved by Chris because maybe it could have got junked or scrapped or whatever before then. But a lot of that came out of Vegas. It's really cool when you look at that and you see, and it's like a time capsule, the stuff that was cool back in those days and it's bolted on those cars or it's this or it's that. And, um, you know, a lot of that stuff had to come out of the beetle barn. And I remember going over there when I first met you and I thought like, Oh man, look at that nine twelve. that thing would be cool, but it needs way too much work. You know what I mean? And like way too much work for me was like yeah. the motor wasn't installed. Like, yeah. Oh no, I'm tired. You know, today people would kill for those kind of cars, but it's, oh, yeah. I remember you had a, you had a nine twelve. I think you had a nine twelve in there that had a 72 RS conversion kit on it where it had the ducktail and it looked mm-hmm. like a 72, but it was a, I had the Recaro seats. It had Recaro seats. And then it, I, is that the same one that had the five spoke, um, yeah. the, the five spoke, um, I forget what they call them. Um, but they're a really rare set of five spoke magnesium wheels yeah. that were on there. And, uh, actually I still have those wheels. Oh, do you? Yeah. I saved those. They're, and they're five on one thirty. It's actually wasn't five on one thirty. It was a weird, uh, size, but I had them, uh, I took it to my car and had them, uh, set it up to five on one thirty. Yeah. So, so you grew up, your first car is 72 beetle and then you kind of go through that process of like working for your dad. So at what age do you start working at the shop? I actually started working for my dad under duress. I mean, it's like being born into the mob. Get into the, you're going. You have to go. He's like, get down there. You're working. So we all learned to earn our keep. And so I was uh, eight years old, started working for him, just mopping and cleaning and doing things for whoever said do it. And then I think the first time I actually tuned up a car myself was... Uh, when I was about 12. Yeah. And did my first engine with his help. Yeah. Uh, right about 16. So and built, it, built your first motor. Yeah. And it, oddly enough, that was right about the time I, him and I had gotten so many fights and arguments that I quit. Right. And started getting jobs at just Fast Fire or Photo or right. whatever to pay the bills. It's some of a solid future. Yeah, yeah. You know. The Photo Hut. <laughs> In the parking lot of the save on. Excuse me, ma'am. May I help you? Right. Uh, so, but, you know, just like the mob, they drag you back in. That's right. There's no get. You yeah, can't quit no it. Getting out. You don't there's quit no the mob. Out. You don't so, quit the VW no, family. No. So, like the, the, the limo bus and, the, and, and these coveted cars that are out, the limo bus, the stretch double cab, all those things. When you were a kid with those, like, oh, it's so embarrassing to get in that stupid limousine bus. <laughs> the limousine bus. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. It was like. What, I was an infant. Right. And so... So after that, like by the time you were a young kid or whatever, it's dead in the yard. It's just yeah, sitting it's, back there. It's been dead in the yard for a good 10, 15 years. And the truck was owned by a family friend yeah. who did weddings. Who's this? Art Sadly. Let me tell you right now. Let me tell you what's sad about this Art Sadly cat. I remember driving on the freeway one, one day. And this has to be... It's before I met you. So it's like the late 90s. I'm driving down I-15 and I'm driving my single cab. And I had a 59 single cab that I bought from Jim Barbeau at Desert Racing Performance. And this is back before single cabs were cool. Like single cabs were dorks. Like, yeah. you know, like nobody drives those. Lame truck. Like that was the attitude with buses and stuff back then. And uh, I'm driving down I-15 and I look across the freeway and I see the crew cab long bed. And I'm just like rubbernecking the whole way. I'm thinking like, 
oh man, where is that thing from? That's so cool. Like, and then like, it was like this unicorn that just pranced across the field and I never saw it again. And I would tell people this story like, dude, I saw a crew cab and it was like 20 feet long, man. I swear, dude. It's like, and I was like, whatever, bro. No one's ever seen that. But I remember seeing it one time on I-15 back when I was driving. Yeah. I may not even been in my single cab. I mean, I could have just been in a work truck. I just remember seeing it thinking, holy cow. That's like a custom, a custom oh, yeah. crew cab, and I thought it'd be cool. And then, never saw it again. But uh, you know, stuff like that. It's it's so it, it, the irony is it's so cool, especially today. But it it was yours before it was cool. It was like your family's before it was cool. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? So it was utilitarian. They right. did it because it was it fit a need, not because it adoration came. And, and they built and they built that specifically. To haul a Formula V car? Exactly, yeah. My dad was racing for uh, Steve Philpot, who used to own, uh, I don't know if he's still alive, but Bearing Belt and Chain. Mm-hmm. And so he built uh, that car and raced for Steve um, at Formula V. It was really good, got a lot of trophies, won a lot. And uh, then he went out on his own and um, got pictures of that stuff but uh, that was why it was built so we could haul the car all the tools all the spares uh, and the family yeah which that was in the mid 60s so I wasn't around but my little brother or my older brother he's little compared to me but he's uh, he's we got a picture of him sitting in the Formula V at one of the races nice yeah so it's kind of cool but um, so that so that's as you're growing up, those cars are kind of the, they were your vacation cars. Some of them weren't run anymore, and they were kind of you know blase, big deal, whatever. It's just some thing that I've got with the family. At what point to you? At, at what point? So let me get back to you're in the business. You're in the business. You're 16 years old. You built. You're building your first engine. At what point do you think like <clears throat> as a teenager, no one wants to be around their dad? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't want to be around my dad and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so you're a teenager. You're getting ready to uh, graduate high school, all this kind of stuff. Are you thinking, like, I am the last thing I'm ever going to do is be a mechanic, work at this place. I can't stand it. I don't want to do it. I mean, what's the attitude like? And then how does that transition go from that period in your life to eventually purchasing the business like how and, and and where's that when does the transition take place and and how does that all come together well i had no intention at all of becoming a mechanic um just well so from the pictures that i saw back in the like in the 80s and stuff you had some long flowing red locks no no that's the at, early 90s early 90s and you looked um Look like you were in the band Extreme, and I thought like, oh, this dude is grunge. If I thought this guy's from Seattle, but he lives here, it's so weird. I had flannel, right? So what a lot you, what of else flannel, do you bro. Do no, I'm, I follow, flannel. bro. I follow. So, so I, um, I, I didn't uh, plan on working for him, but I went on a uh, religious mission mm-hmm. to the Philippines. Came back uh, in 1992, and. I was going to go to college. I wanted to be an automotive engineer. Um, but at the time, my my sister was in college. And so it was a little bit of a financial burden for my family. On the family. And he was in need of somebody to work for him. Because so, as you even know today, good help is hard to hard find. Hard to find. So he, he pleaded with me, please, you know, you can go to college at night while you work for me. And Sure. So I did. I enrolled in community college and... And t- started taking business classes and 
worked for him during the day. That didn't last very long because working during the day and then going to school late at night sucks. Yeah. And my hat's off to all you guys out there who do it. Right. Because I lasted a semester. It takes discipline. And then I bailed. When you're the man of the flannel and the ladies are calling, dude, it's hard. It, you, listen, it's hard to listen, serve. I was it. Bernie Sanders supporter before he was popular. You were feeling the burn. <laughs> so you end up stop going, you stop going to night school and you're like, forget it. I'll just work. And you're working and you're, you're getting flag time at this, at this book time or what? Yeah, at the time I was making $16 an hour flat rate. Um, but, uh, I was well, 16 bucks an hour, but if you're knocking out a six hour job in two hours or three hours, or, yeah, I would average about 50 to 60 hours a week. Yeah. So time. So I was making good money. You're making good money. Yeah. King of the world. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was enjoying it. I was restoring a 72 standard beetle at the time with my Rivieras. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you look like a kind of guy real Rivieras. Yeah. British racing green with, uh, Velvet. Tell me more. Velvet wavy seat velour. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And the radio only played, uh, you know, Santana. Nice. That was all it would play. Nice. Um, I was restoring that car. It was a great car. I drove it for a while, and somebody stole it, and that was the end of that. And so, you you you're working. You're in your early twenties, working for your dad. And then when do you realize you're not getting out of the spider web of the family business? I, that didn't happen until much later. It was actually a, kind of a bad time. You know, I, him and I would fight. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that what went on during that show of Orange County Choppers was nothing compared to how bad my dad and I would fight. Right. Like, it was like bad. Like throw stuff at each other. It, and all was, kinds of, it yeah. was bad. It was really bad. And... You know, that's why my brother never kept on, I think, because it was just, it, he was a very demanding person and he expected perfection and he, he wanted you to do it. Now, he's a very loving man. Sure. He, uh, I never doubted that he loved me, but man, he did not accept failure or mistakes and he would let you know he was pissed. So it's tough. Yeah. And he's rides his family members more than he would ride anybody. Yeah. Cause you're, cause, cause you're me. Yeah. You're me junior yeah. and you're going to do it like I do it. And exactly. if not, I'm having a hard time accepting the fact that you're from my loins. Yeah. yeah trust it, me. I've, I think yeah, every dad that whole, has that, that whole kinda... last name conversation uh-huh, where uh-huh. you're carrying my last name. What yeah. you do reflects on me. And so that would be a lot of what happened. And so it was, uh, I got married in 94 and it was reaching its break point. Um, my dad goes on a mission himself uh, to England. And so he leaves the business in charge uh, or to my sister-in-law, leaves it in her charge. And I'm running the, I'm the, the shop, shop foreman and she's the business manager. So we do good. Uh, it's fine. We're working and everything's working great. So when he gets back, I thought, well, maybe I'll stick with this. Right. Uh, but as soon as he gets back into it, he wants to change it all back to the way he did it. And so, again, the conflict starts. And so I started testing for the police department and got uh, after my <laughs> fourth, 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 attempt. fourth attempt, I finally got admitted to the uh, to the uh, uh, cadet program. Yeah. But uh, as destiny had it, he has a second heart attack. Um, that was quite bad, and they're like, "You have to quit this business of 
you know, managing because your stress level is just off the charts. So uh, we worked out a deal. How old, I is, he, how old is he at this time? Uh, well, let's see, 98, he would be uh, 60, 62. Yeah. And that was, he had a heart attack in 95 and then in 98 or 97-ish. So um, we worked it out where I would take over. You kind of retired him, basically, like, yeah, I'll pay you every month and send you, you'll be Yeah, we worked out a deal for the purchase price of sure. the shares and purchase price for the property and, and, and uh, you know, a time period of payback. And, and then you were enslaved. And then I was enslaved, and I, I really didn't have any idea what I was getting into because, you know, knowing how to work on cars right. and solve those problems is a far cry different than knowing how to be a successful businessman. Right. I mean, you know, be a, a lot of times people think if they're good at a trade, they'll go into that business, but they don't realize being in that business is more about dealing with employees, managing situations and overseeing outcomes, direction, company development, all those types of things. People just think like, Hey, I know how to, I know how to work on a car. I'll own a garage. And then all of the burden of owning the garage comes in and it's like a whole nother, it's being a business owner, not a mechanic. Yeah. And sometimes you think to yourself like, Man, I just wish I was a mechanic. Yes, you know what I mean. Quite often, and so <laughs> it's it, it's interesting as as you take that transition because you just think oh, there's just more of this, and it's really less of working on cars yeah. and more of managing people, time, oh yeah, equipment, and being smart with your money and <clears throat> recognizing problems before before they become a catastrophe. Right. Yeah. So so you end up taking the so you so you end up taking the business owner for over from dad. Um, now, I, I wanted to ask some questions about some early Vegas history. So Vegas history back then, you had, there was, and so so back in those days, there was Old Volks Home. Mm-hmm. So it was Beetle Barn, Old Volks Home, um, Abco, um, Western VW, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Putt and Putt. So Putt and Putt. I never even heard of Putt and Putt. So. So who's around back then, and then who does your dad know, and were any of those people people that worked for your dad and then started their own shop, or it like because mm-hmm. you know some things are incestuous and in how they kind of work together. Like your dad worked at the dealership and then started his own VW shop. Like mm-hmm. any of those guys that your dad knew, didn't know, or give me some Vegas history because really none of those guys are around anymore. If they were, I'd love to interview them, but none of those guys are around. And I don't think I don't think old Volkshomes open. I, I don't know if it is or not, but my dad often said that he, most everybody who worked, had their own shop in town, worked for him at some point. Sure. To some degree. I think uh, Jose Meyer's brother mm-hmm. worked for my dad for a while. Um, uh, but it, it, of, of course, you know, he he was a big, it was a big business. He It was, Volkswagens was huge business in the 70s. Sure. And so well, he especially was, out here in the desert, air cooled cars like eat them up. Well, even even people would come like uh, Bruce Myers would send my dad his kits. My dad would assemble them, build them, and ships. You know, I think it was five at a time. He would ship three of them back to California, and then he would keep two here and sell them for him. Oh, really? And that was uh, uh, what they did. What he did um, with the business was sandrails and off road buggies, and you know, Duchess. Uh, Mercedes kit cars, you nice. know, MG kit cars. Yep. And, you know, if you get, you some. get the ladies. 
That's right. They got them lining Never up. Never you mind, girl, that it sounds like a Volkswagen. You just get in this MG that's really expensive. And mind like, the fake side pipes. Why does this door? The, the side pipes are ice cold. That's because this car is that cool, girl. Yeah. See? I'm following, I'm following a thread. Throughout your experience of working on those things, uh, what's some of the craziest contraptions? Because I'm sure being the VW scene throughout throughout the 80s and 90s and, mm. and, and whatnot, you've seen your fair share, especially on that side of town. Not saying that the people on that side of town are a little eccentric, but they're a little eccentric. So <laughs> on that side of town, I'm sure you've seen some pretty unique vehicles. Um, what's the funkiest thing you've seen somebody build out of VW? out of VW chassis, motor, or whatever that they've showed up with at your place, and you're like, what the French toast is this thing? I don't know. There's, it's so hard. You would really try to block that stuff out because you try to block it out your start mind. right vehicles like, like that. Like you right? get, you, you, did, you, did you ever, you drive the Coyotes? I drove the Coyotes and mm-hmm. the Bradley GT. Bradley GT. Um, GT40 kit You know car. GT stands for good time? <laughs> I don't know what it stands Digital gauges. I think they were working on the voice box. Uh, nice. Nice. It was, it was the precursor to Knight Rider. So did you guys? So y- your dad built some kits. Uh, he built some of those Myers Manks, the actual yeah, Myers Manks for Bruce Myers. Bruce Myers. Bruce Myers yeah. And then what was that? He he. There was a there was a fiberglass mold that he had in the shop in the back forever. Well, that was for his race cars because he was prolific off road racer, and he would build cars for other people. Right. His uh, his original design was the tandem race car where instead of a side-by-side two-seater he would right. place one dri- the driver in front of a rear passenger yeah uh, the vehicle was longer than most cars well all the cars out there and that was he was ridiculed for it but it turned out that it was actually a very smooth riding right because a longer vehicle. wheelbase like you, as yeah. you see everything going now it goes long yeah. wheelbase for yeah. suspension and off in, in the desert and so my mom would race with him as his passenger and he would win. And my mom actually drove by herself a few times while she was pregnant with me. She nice. won a race. So that's what's wrong with you. Yeah, that's exactly what's wrong. You're too right bumpity back. bump in the car. You know, not many people are as fortunate as I am to know the exact moment when the retard sets in. <laughs> Mine was five months pregnant. The mental disability. This would be politically, politically yeah. correct here. Well, we retard our timing. You're correct, correct. What uh, so? What other kit cars was your dad build? Like, would he build a whole kit car for somebody? Like, was that like a big thing in the eighties? People were like, hey oh, man, well, I he, got this Mulholland kit. I need it installed. Stat. Oddly enough, um, Liberace was one of his customers. Liberace. Liberace. Really? What had him build a replica a Beetle kit car of his Rolls Royce, and the sole purpose of that replica. Uh, was to carry his cape in it. Oh, really? Yeah. And I remember meeting, well, not being introduced to him, but remember as a child standing. You got to kiss his ring. <laughs> Liberace, Liberace, can you I did kiss your you ring? Too? Yeah. Yeah. 7 yeah. Eleven is where it happened to me. Yeah. So he's there talking to my dad. And after he leaves, I was like, Dad, why did that woman talk like a man? I don't know how old I was, but I was young. I wasn't working yeah. there. I was just hanging out. And there's out. no pulling the wool over your eyes. Yeah. And I, then he would show me the guy on PBS. Yeah. The, the uh, Liberace Hour. But he was one of his customers. And in fact, I had the pleasure of servicing that for the Liberace Museum. Right. Um, with, uh, it was two or three years ago. Uh, so they could get it running again and drive it for some exhibition or whatever. Right. But that was one of his customers. So, 
Liberace, one of my customers. Any other celebrities that were in the VWs that you remember? Um, Hardcastle McCormick. Man, I tell you, my dad was connected. Yeah, he knew. Uh, he knew everybody. We already said he's in the Volkswagen Mafia, and yep. what's crazy Volkswagen is today, mafia. everybody, they, you got all the mafias out there: the Barn Door Mafia, the Bay Window Mafia, the Camper Mafia, the I'm a Dingbat. Nobody else has one of these cars. Mafia, like everybody's a mafia, and it really kind of listen. It gets on my nerves. Yeah. You know, I'm not gonna lie to you. Everybody just make there's a Type Three Mafia. It's just nonsense. Okay, nonsense. Yeah. None of you guys gonna do anything. No one's breaking any legs. No one's controlling the scene. <laughs> Stop it. All right, stop with the mafia. It's yeah. Nonsense. Not yeah. just drop it. There was the barn door mafia. That was cool enough. Leave it at that. Right. That's it. Don't. don't I don't want to go on a rant right now about the mafias. But anyway, back to your talk about your dad being connected. I mean, Dan Tana ever show up, dude? Back in Vegas, he ever rolled the T Bird in and like had one a T Bird kit VW. I mean, uh, any star studded uh, yeah, drop ins. James Garner. James Garner. Because he talking about racing. Rockford. Rockford Files. His daughter he, sure is beautiful. He knew him. Uh, through association, you know, they would say hi. And um, there's, there's yeah, James Garner's one of the first one, ran uh, one of the uh, Bajas, didn't he? Yeah, I think it's the very first one he raced. Yeah, um, so my dad knew a lot of people. We we're always getting tickets to like I went to a Muhammad Ali fight and nice. uh, Holmes, I can't remember his first name, Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes mm-hmm. went to his fight because um, my dad was always getting free tickets to yeah. stuff. Well, let's spin back to this, the Liberace. Uh, so it was a it was a late model Beetle that got a Rolls Royce kit put on it. Was that car sequins or it was just silver? It was small, half inch square mirror squares like tiles. oh, like glued to the whole car. Glued to the whole. Did car. you guys do that at your shop? I can't remember because I I was really young at right. that time. But when it came, uh, this I. I mean, I would, that thing was bedazzled before you could bedazzle anything. Oh, yeah. With a little, I think there's a Pegasus on the mm. side of both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Pink mm-hmm. and black. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Those are my car. colors. And, you know, I never had so many sets of underwear thrown at me. Yeah. Well, they're boxers, but. I mean, listen, what what can you do, right? All you do is just stiff arm the wheel and just and just lock eyes with the road, man. Yeah, just stare down. That's it. The keep your cool. Just yeah. keep your cool and keep pushing through, man. I know I've been there, man. I mean, it's a tough, my, I mean, it's me, a tough I was time. delivering pizzas in a '76 Cutlass with a shark bite in the side. But I mean, listen, let's, let's not get into that story right now. So, it's not about me today. No, it's not about me. Listen, I mean, it really, it's always about me because I'm the less talked up guy. But you know, it's not always about me. Exactly. You buy the shop, you take over the shop. We were talking about some VW history, and I, and, and I kind of wanted to, um, it's interesting how the Beetle Barn, because that transition, that generational transition is the only shop really standing today. I remember when I first got in the VW scene, we used to go to, uh, you had Southwest Auto Wrecking. They mm-hmm. had a bunch of VWs out there, yeah. and that John guy out there, I think his name was, yeah. he used to carry a bunch of VW reproduction parts. Mm-hmm. Um, there was your shop. There was, which was Beetle Barn. There was um, Abco. Used to go there for wrecking yard. I remember, you know, seeing like a red bug with scallops on it, and it's all mm. T-bone in the sides. Steering wheel's bent up. I'm like, oh man, look at that cool, cool car on those wide five alloys. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, all the stuff from the '80s. But then you had Western VW, and I think the, in, in succession of how they disappeared off the map, were you in your own world like so busy with Beetle Barn that you didn't pay attention to the other shops around town because one day I'd like to I'd like to create a VW Las Vegas VW history. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, maybe I'd like to create it, but what I would create it. Pro- I mean, listen, it's low probability, but the reality <laughs> is here. I, I and I think I could uh, do something through map and phone books or something, and just mm-hmm. get phone books by year by year and see with the VW shops, and just list when they're no longer listed in the phone book as for part of a cheap way of doing history. But I think 
this town has su- this town has such a VW influence because of off-road racing. So many of the off-road guys all started getting into off-road stuff by having a Beetle and 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 gaining that confidence to work on a car themselves or modify it or whatever they could do. So there's a huge deal in in respect to the history of Volkswagens here in this town. Um, what do you? Obviously, Beetle Barn is still here because of the generational transition. Mm-hmm. But why did the other shops, from what from what you know, why would the other shops shut down? What was their reasoning? I don't know. I I don't know specifically. I would surmise with the little information I know about the other shops, was that it was just the lack of uh, people available to carry it on. Right. Because, uh, you know, honestly, I was not my dad's first choice to take over the business. Sure. No, no, no. Listen, I've been your friend. Yeah. You're using my second call. I mean, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I knew that he tried to find probably anybody and everybody else. That would take over the business. That would take over something. the business. Uh, matter of fact, he even offered the business to uh, Wolf. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, Wolf, uh, of course, has a very successful business himself. So yeah. he went on. Wolf's been in town that long, huh? Well, it was. I think it was the early 90s when Wolf started. Yeah. 90, I think it was 94. I'm not 100% sure. But um, so he didn't really want me. And I, to, to be fair. Yeah, clearly, because if you've got some spastic grunge kid working for you with long, long wavy hair. red hair. Who wants that dude around? <laughs> not a lot of people. And it's not really his fault because I didn't express a lot. Of Six interest. foot two leprechaun with a mullet. I mean, seriously, bro. What? <laughs> no, it was more like a mop here, dude. It wasn't a mullet. I got to give him. Uh, so you buy the business from your parents or you buy the business from, from mom and dad. You buy the property, lot of stuff. What's the first thing you do to change it? If anything, like this is my place now and I'm going to, I'm going to change X. I didn't really change much. Just, I um, mean, and business just kept going. It was I, like all those years of advertising the phone book really paid off. I tried to focus more on um, service uh-huh. and uh, less on the project cars and and off road stuff. But you really you it, it, you find out that you really have to take care of everything, right? Because it's the cumulative. Uh, customer base that gives you a referral sure sure and so i i, I realized that you, you have to take care of everybody yeah so you can't you just do custom builds you can't just do this you, you've got to have some diversity in your workflow so that way you maintain consistent workload but it always boils down to uh, workforce so if you don't have a paint guy or a body guy yeah you got to stop doing paint and body until you replace that person and that was always been our struggle is finding good, solid people. Yeah. I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people for the podcast, a lot of people that own their own businesses and everybody comes back to the same thing. You know, it's really difficult to find good help and be able to build a solid team because of kind of the dynamics of what's changed in this country from a, you know, the big push to go to college and, you know, go, go to college and you don't need to work with your hands and whatnot. And really there's a lot of people that could be working with their hands. that could probably be really good, but you know, they've tried to make a good, respectable trade like that seem like it was below the standard. And, right. and so, and, and where, where it's going to, where they're going to reap what they've sown is I'm in construction mm-hmm. and I'll tell you right now in 10 years, you mark my words, it'll be twice as expensive to build a house in 10 years than it is today because you're not getting people in trades. 
And when you don't get people in the trades, you start to offset that supply and demand. Working on cars is going to be expensive. Do all these things where the 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 the, the uh, blue collar worker is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Those blue collar trades are going to be through the roof. I mean, it, a, there's also a mentality of of people nowadays who everybody wants to be rich with regard well, to, do, to duh, dollars. Why am I doing this podcast? But dollars, you, you can be. <laughs> You can be uh, happy and successful yeah. without necessarily being financially well Rich with friends, man. Right. You got a VW shop. Everybody wants to come over yeah, and hang everybody's, out. Everybody's your friend. Everybody's your buddy. Like, hey, bro, can you adjust my valves real quick? <laughs> yeah. Come on, bro. So your favorite thing is you, you grew up working on cars. You've worked on VWs your whole life, mostly starting off, obviously, with air-cooled stuff because they were much more simplistic as you entered the VW mechanic world in your early years of 16 17 years old which is probably early 80s mid 80s um you're starting to work on some of the water-cooled stuff some things like that so Mm -hmm. in the entire realm of stuff that's out there what's some of your favorite stuff to work on what do you what do you enjoy working on the most i've always enjoyed making cars faster yeah that's always been my favorite and the horsepower the rumble it's a visceral thing you really just it's exciting so I've always enjoyed making big engines. When we were racing that old drag car that my dad had built for a customer back in 73, which was still sitting in our yard, I got a wild hair and thought, yeah, let's let's do something with that. So we started drag racing. It was fun. We didn't even clean the car. We just left the mud cake dirt all over. You're talking it. about the orange car? Yeah, the orange one. With the split window kit in the back? Split that was window, so with legit. With a latch, you could pivot it up if, you, if it hadn't been bondoed in there nice still have it nice but uh, that was fun and exhilarating if if you've ever if nobody's ever you know if whoever's listening out there hasn't drag raced it is a huge adrenaline dump yeah and when you get down your heart's pounding and you're panting and you've got this you know sweat dripping down your pits you're just like wow that was a rush yeah, and I think it's even if your car is not that fast, doesn't matter how fast it is, you're just you're just thinking like I'm gonna get it faster the next yeah. pass, and you're, you know. We drove and, the uh, double double cab down the drag strip. Oh, did you? Yeah, remember that was a hot dog eating contest. You'd eat the hot dog, get in your car, run down the track. You and I don't hang out at the same places, bro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hot dog eating contest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, <laughs> go ahead. Is this that, at one that, of the buggins? Is it the buggin or something like that? That was a plug for uh, Charlie's car. Uh, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, it was one of the uh, it was one of the bug shows, and so one of the early ones because the first one the first I, so I never went to any of the old VW shows here. The first one we went to is the one we started oh, was yeah. the bug in in ninety one or ninety two, so ninety one or ninety two we Jim Carrie and the DRP crew we like we put on the Las Vegas bug in we rented the track it was like a whole ordeal. And uh, it was because the Buggins went away and we never went any. So we're like, we're going to have a Las Vegas show. And I remember seeing that gigantic. This is when they, before they read the Speedway. Mm-hmm. You're talking 91, 92. And it's like this gigantic empty parking lot. And there's some Volkswagens littered throughout. Like, this is our show. Get used to it. You know, but I mean, it was so funny because we were wanting to have our own show. And there was enough VW people here in town. And so it was, uh, it was, it was cool to be part of that. But. You know, you look at all these magazines with all the shows from the 80s and all the stuff, and I never got to go to any. I mean, the first show I went to was, the first show I went to was, I'm going to say it was 89. George was trying to tell me it was a different day, but I remember going to 
um, the I remember going to the VW Classic or the Jamboree. It was the Jamboree at the time. It was like eighty nine or nineties when I when I met uh, Scott Moses, and that's where I met him. Was down there at the Classic, and I was like, "You're from Vegas? I'm from Vegas too." Are you the other guy with the Volkswagen? You know, because the Vegas, yeah, because Vegas didn't really have this huge VW scene up until you know started in the late '80s and moved on into the '90s and the early 2000s. It was pretty strong, um, but uh, yeah, I think you know, I think it, from the outside looking in, it's like so cool. Like, oh man, you're so lucky because you got to grow up with all this cool stuff. But for you, it's kind of like, meh, it's my life. I'm, I'm like, this is. Yeah, big deal. It's like, you know, you see it every day. Like, my kids come in my garage. I'm like, nah, whatever, dad's buses and whatever. Like, these aren't cool. Or, you know, whatever they, because it's kind of what their dad has or what's out there. But I know you as a person, I know that you've got a passion for, like you said, drag racing. You've got the drag bug that you need to get back on the road. And then you've got your R32 that you've got now, that 400 horsepower R32, which oh, is oh, oh, four, 465. <sighs> whatever, 465, 400, <laughs> whatever. But it's really cool to see that you have a passion still for Volkswagens and it, and it's tough to keep the passion alive when you do something for work. That is your, that is something you're passionate about. I experienced that again. It's not about me, but we'll go back to me. <laughs> I experienced that when I Just was for a moment. when I did car audio installation, like I was a real uh, car audio file, you know, like I loved it. You know, I was, experimenting with speakers and all this stuff for my limited amount of knowledge. And then one day I had an opportunity to start working in the car audio industry. And then when it became a job, it was kind of a drag, you know what I mean? Because it was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, and you're working on stuff like, yeah, I can't afford a CD changer. I'll just put one in for this guy. And it was, you get all jaded and all that stuff. And, and, but doing it for a business, it gets kind of, um, you know, it kind of loses its zeal sometimes because you become numb to like, yeah, another, this, another, that, but, it's really cool to see that you still have a heavy passion for the VWs. You still have a heavy passion for, you know, modifying, fixing, and customizing VWs and just trying to get that in balance with your life. And it's tough to keep that fire stoked. Yeah, it is. Probably the biggest factor is that when you get older and you have six kids right, and your priorities start to shift and you start to weigh out, well, how important is it that I have a really cool show car? Sure. Versus, oh, my daughter's getting married, or oh, my son's gonna, yeah, you know, go to college, whatever. So you start to all that stuff that's really not the most important thing in the world kind of gets to fall to the wayside. But every now and then, you know, I'll do something for myself on one of my cars, uh, and there's that little, you know, tingle of oh, that's so fun. It's so satisfying to fix your car, or make it faster, or nicer, or whatever. So, um, and, and really I miss it. I miss the day to day. It's hard work, but I miss just being, you know, elbow deep right. in a vehicle, working hard, sweating, start to finish. And then you drive the car and go, Oh yeah, I fixed that. That runs great. That's fun. Unbelievably rewarding feeling when you fix something that no one else could figure out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, not to make it about me again, <laughs> but I remember I remember working on a, a Mercedes that had come in. They did an aftermarket stereo in, and no one could figure out why. They turned the key off and the key on, and the radio would keep its memory. And then, you know, the guy left. He'd come back, parks it overnight, loses its memory. 
and nobody could figure out anything. And they're like, what's wrong with this? We can't figure it out. And I'm, I'm a scrub, 16 years old, 17 years old, working at a stereo shop. And I get, I get in this Mercedes and then I'm turning the key off, turning it on. Like it depends on how long I leave the key off mm-hmm. and then it erases the memory. And those early, those eighties Mercedes had a dome light that was timed. <laughs> so someone had, someone had, had pierced the, the dome light wire. Like, yep, that's my constant tapping into that. They tap into that. They close the door. Like, yeah, look, it's still, still holding, still holding the memory, still hold the memory. And then you wait 30 seconds, dome light goes off and it loses its power. Right? So I'm sitting in the car and I see that. And then I'm like, it was like the dad was the hero. It's just like, <laughs> you fixed it. What did you do? And I'm like, ah, I, you know. Uh, and then I had to tell everybody because everybody want, everybody's thinking like, no, he'll bring it back tomorrow and it won't work. I'm like, no, it's going to work. I said someone had it tied into the dome light and the dome light's on a timer. So 30 seconds after you close the door, then the dome light goes out. And that's why no one could figure that out or every time the key went off. So, But there's there's that sense of like, I, I think there's, that's such a good feeling. Like when, you, when, when, when you're a problem solver or like, I tell you, I have to give you credit because uh, I'll tell everybody in podcast line, this is how good Justin Stevens from Beetle Barn is. I buy a 914 and I buy this 914 and I'm like, so I'm like, I'm going to get this thing running and I'm going to, you know, polish this turd and turn around salad or maybe keep it as a cruiser for my kid or something like that. So I get it home and I, I get a battery and I, I, I changed, I spend 14 seconds working the fuel injection. Then I just shake my head and pull it all off and put a set of carburetors on it, you know, get out there, start working on it, start it up get it running. I'm like, man, this thing, I got it running, but it runs like crap. Blah, 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 blah. And I call, and I call you on the phone. I'm like, Hey dude, look, I got a question about this. It's, it's running like this, but it's doing that. And then when I do this and he goes, and, and, now this is over the telephone. He goes, start it up let me, and rev it up. Let me hear it. He's like, yeah, it's got a sucked valve. I'm like, bro, you, how can you say that? He's like, it has a sucked valve. He says, I can listen to it and tell you that it has a sucked valve on the head. So anyway, of course, I didn't believe him, and then I start looking at the car and start checking things. He told me to check. I'm like, yeah, he's right. But how's a guy? Di- a guy's been in the game so long that you can diagnose things over the phone, or, or you've seen things happen so repetitively, you know, that that it just becomes second nature. And that's that's a part I think is really cool. You know what I mean? It is cool, and I have to give proper respect to my dad. Because really, he's the one that taught me everything. Yeah. With regard, and he was smart in that when I started working for him, and he was soft spoken, caring, and like a really, really nurturing teacher. <laughs> I'm sure he could be. Otherwise, he'd have never got married. But that's how you learn, man. Yeah. I mean, kids don't learn nowadays because everybody's like, "Oh, let the kid make the decision." Like, no. Well, it, it science has proven that in traumatic experiences, the memory keeps it locks in. It locks so in. your dad thought, like, if I can just bring him within an inch Scare of his life, he'll never forget yeah. how to adjust Fear the valves. Fear of God in him, he's gonna remember. But he would tell me all these little tricks, which I pass them on now because none of my kids want to be involved in. Uh, Volkswagen and, and my wife doesn't want them to either because it is a highly stressful job. Sure. I would love it because right. I love my boys and my girls, yeah. but he would teach us all these little things that were make diagnosing so quick, so simple. And then he would take the time to say, Oh, you hear that? You hear that little whine, that little whine and whistle followed. That is, you know, that's what this problem is. That's where that right. comes from. Or, you know, if you hear a roaring noise when you rev the engine, whoa, he says, shut it off, put your hand in the fan, you're going to find a piece of paper. 
And sure enough. Oh, like the blocked fan noise. I don't think there's anybody that didn't grow up as a teenager with a Volkswagen and then take like an oil rag and just shove it (laughs) in the engine car. Like, I'll put this here. And then somehow, some way, you're wringing its neck, getting the freeway. And it's like, all of a sudden, you're like, man, what is going on? That's a weird noise. Smoke coming out. Yeah, I did. Matter of fact, not only did I do that in one of my early Beatles, I did that. Not making it about me again, but here we are. But. Come full circle. I'm driving the bull. I'm driving. I think one of the first times I had before the bull run bus was the bull run bus. I'm at Finley Volkswagen showing off the bus. The crowds gathered around. Everybody's like, oh, this thing's so cool. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm, I know. And I'm getting ready to leave, right? So I'm deciding, like, I'm going to pour the coals to her leaving, you know, leaving the Finley parking lot. And I pour the coals like, Mah! and I hear a like this, and this surge in the motor. I'm like, what the crap was that? So I just try to, you know, I run it out like I'm meant to do that. And I just kept driving away like I'm not going to stop in front of all. I get home. I get home and I'm like, what in the world is that? Because it was like this shutter and this crazy thing. And I have the 911 shroud on that car. And I sucked a rag and like like those red rags. I sucked one of those through the fan and it literally vaporized it. Like there was some threads caught around my pulley. But the rest, I had to pull the tins off and clean the tins because it literally shattered this rag and little hairs everywhere. They were all over the it's cylinder like heads. But yeah. So then, you know, there's things like that. Like you said, traumatic experiences help you remember. Mm-hmm. I, another wonderful experience that I had, speaking of traumas, I was, uh, I had my dad at my house. I don't know. He was doing something. He was there annoying me while I was working on my bus. I love my dad, rest in peace. And, uh, and I was, <laughs> I was a butthead and he, he's there like trying to help me. Do, my motor was hydrolocking and I couldn't understand why. Well, now I know it was hydrolocking because there was a needle seat stuck. Mm-hmm. Right. So it just keeps filling the cylinder with gasoline. So in my infinite wisdom, I'm like, all right, pull the plugs out and just crank this dude over and get this thing, get the, get the fuel out. <laughs> do do do. <laughs> and I, and I tell my dad, dad, when I tell you to crank it over, crank it over. Well, I forgot to pull the coil wire. Like, I forgot to pull the power to the coil. So as soon as my dad cranks it, it atomize, it's a reverse atomization, sprays the fuel over the engine compartment. Huge flame shoots out. <laughs> like, singes half my hair. I'm like, rah! I'm yelling at my dad like he caused it. I run in the house, get the fire extinguisher, and put this thing out. Oh, man. But you know what? I remember now... You will never have to ask me to disconnect the, the coil wire when pumping fuel out of a hydrolocked motor. No, no need to ask me. I'll remember it's in here. It's locked in the vault. A, a rarely used resource. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's out there. Yeah. The truth is out there. Yeah. Any traumatic stories that you have from uh, working on, from wrenching all these years, like, uh, and that those beautiful long locks of red hair that you had back in the day when you had red hair instead of this red and pepper you got a yeah. red salt going on. Any I, of that long locks get caught in a fan belt? I, I got my long hair. That's my last time of cutting my hair, <sighs> I, which was only four or five years ago. I had long hair. Right. Yeah. I can't let go of the 60s. It's all right. And well, you uh, weren't even born then. So I got it caught it in a creeper because I forgot to put it in a Oof. tight ponytail. And Oof. But I guess it's better than a fan shroud, right? Oh, yeah. My dad was adamant about, you put that up in a double ponytail. Double ponytail, boy. Pigtails was preferable, but... uh, Nice. Yeah, because all the other mechanics liked it. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. You've seen the video online of the guy taking the fan belt off with 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 a screwdriver. screwdriver. Yeah. 
Would you guys do that in your shop back in the day? No, because that's that's a setup. You know, you you have it adjusted super loose so you can flip it off and flip it back on. My dad would do tricks like that and you know, for fun. We would also pull start Volkswagen motors. Yeah. Uh, like wrap something around there and Yeah, we'd wrap a string with a little piece of dowel wood at the end of it and we'd wrap it around the crank pulley. Because we, you know, sometimes when you want to find out where the oil's leaking, the flywheel's in the way. Right. And so if you, you mean s- the pu- the the uh, pulley, lower pulley's in the way? No, the flywheel. So you got a leak from the flywheel oh, side. Oh, okay. So we would take a flywheel and cut the friction surface off, and just bolt the hub up so it'd seal. But then we would pull start the motor, and out of the car, out obviously, out of the car on the concrete, and rev mm-hmm. it, and hold it up and higher RPM and see where the leak. That's why we would how we started to notice all the the cases behind cracking rear, rear third third yeah. uh, cylinder or the cam plug would be leaking or something but that's we he was always doing stuff like coming up with ways to solve problems yeah all kinds of special tools you know transmissions would get stuck in gear right uh in two gears he made the most convoluted t-handled screwdriver it looks like a deformed corkscrew and he f- thread that in through the front drain hole. Right. And find the fork, pull it. And crack it loose. Pull it loose. And then it would be in one gear. And then you would move, you'd be able to manipulate the gear lever. I still have it. And it's made out of broken transmission part and a, and a old screwdriver. It's just the most crazy thing. I don't even know how he figured it out. But he was just you know, the man. Yeah. That's yeah. No, but that, but, but that, I, mean, I think that's awesome though. Like when you know that there's a problem and you're like, you know what, I got parts, pieces and a welder and I'll build, I'll build a solution for it. Cause that's the cool thing with like the VW ingenuity. People on the podcast will know that they've seen on the Samba a few years back, there was a VW crew cab tow truck. Hmm. I found that tow truck 20 years ago in Sandy Valley and it happened to be parked adjacent to a VW powered airplane. And all I remember when I saw the crew cab, I was like, Oh, cool. A crew cab. I'm like, Oh, what is that double inverted stacked engine in the bed? That's going to be a whole hassle. Let's connect all these hydraulic hoses and pumps and everything. And I thought, what a piece of garbage. I'm thinking like, who wants that? And the next thing you know, I see it, you know, 15 years later on the Samba for 15,000 or $20,000. I'm thinking like, but that, that in essence was the Vegas desert rat. Like the Vegas desert rat was like building, like he had a welder and a couple Volkswagens and he was yeah. just going to make it do whatever he had to do. And, and, and it's so funny that the VW scene attracts so many of those people to it that, that are inquisitive and, and they're intrigued in finding solutions to certain things. You know what I mean? Because driving a VW, you, you won't last long in the VW scene if you can't be impromptu. Like if you can't just come up with a way or figure out how to drive your car without a clutch cable mm. or drive it without a throttle cable or do, like 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 the guy who sells the Volkswagen is the guy who calls his friend or AAA or gets a tow or whatever. That's the guy who gets out of Volkswagens. The guy who stays in the Volkswagens is the guy who runs, you know, shoelaces connected together to the throttle or, you know, comes up with some way to figures out how to speed shift the car and start it in first and get it going. You yeah. know, like that's the guy that stays in it because you're the guy that's like, I figured it out. 
I got it. I got this right somehow. Yeah, some way. And but it's but it's like, and that's that's the defining line of like who can handle being in VWs because there's some people you get in VWs and you're like, hey, yeah, you're not gonna last because, you know, you're thinking these cars are years and years old and and it's like, well, we're we're in really. I, I really think we're in a, the heyday of Volkswagen restoration and, and classics because I, the, it, for so many years, it was so difficult to keep them going, especially to restore them because you just had this void where there were not parts available and the only right. you could, thing you could use was used stuff and there was no internet. So sometimes it was just impossible to find stuff. And so my dad being a pack rat was really helpful because we would have almost everything we needed, but sometimes it was difficult and even engineering problems. Like my dad would come up with solutions like case savers. He was buying stuff from the hardware store to solve that problem before Volkswagen even solved it. Oh really? For case savers? Case savers. So um, he would come up with solutions all the time. He'd make his own wheels. Uh, He built his own tractor when he was a kid. Wow. I still have it at the yard. And uh, like we couldn't throw that away. I was like, no way. I'm keeping that thing. Yeah. So fast forward to today. So Beetle Barnes moved from its location on Judson. You're now off of uh, your 4970 Rville in Las Vegas, close to the Orleans Hotel and Casino, if anybody wants to come visit. Uh, more importantly, we're near <coughs> T Brothers Tile. Hey, T Brothers Tile. Shout out from my company. Shout out from my business that lets me afford my Volkswagens. <laughs> yes. But... Uh, so you're doing that. So you've relocated the shop. You're in a smaller facility, and you're doing mostly maintenance and stuff like that. Service um, repair, yeah. Service and repair. You're still doing the service repair thing. What do you find being the most common thing that you're running into? I mean, because it's, it's weird because the dynamics of the, of the automotive maintenance has changed. I mean, you're talking percentage of people that have old classic Volkswagens has gone down considerably compared to what you guys used to get, obviously, in the 80s and 90s. And then now... You're working on substantially more water-cooled stuff. Well, we actually, the only thing that's really changed, because we we probably spread our uh, service time uh, 60-40 with most, 60% of our workload is classic cars. Uh, 40% of it would be the newer cars. Right. Um, But oddly enough, the revenue generated on the older cars is lower. And uh, with the newer cars, we make more money. Right, uh, because the service is simpler and more streamlined. But uh, the o- only thing that I notice is that the customers are different. Uh, back when I was younger, the Vol- classic Volkswagens were there, relied on transportation. Sure. And so it was more service and repair. Nowadays, it's more customization and and restoration and hot rodding and and that. And so uh, and and with the value of them climbing so high right there's less cars being abandoned at my place and more of them are actually getting repaired shockingly sometimes i think you really want to fix this car because it needs everything but people fall in love with volkswagens as they do with no other car usually volkswagens is the most beloved car i think they fix them and that's what's changed we we don't have cars get abandoned Nearly as near as much as they used to like because it used to be what eight hundred fifty dollars to rebuild my engine. You can keep it. The car's not worth that. Yeah, we still get that sometimes because they'll be um, 
people who spent way too much to buy the car and it yeah, didn't get well, it inspected I, and then it ends up being well and it, you know that's that's why you shouldn't buy something that's um have it inspected by yeah. a local professional right so you do a pre-purchase inspection for someone wouldn't you it's oh no yeah problem. You we've had your uh, shop. we've had several people and i even had one guy uh take me to uh or say he wanted me to fly out to San Francisco to inspect a car. Yeah. Uh, because you can find anybody there. So uh, we do that a lot. And I've got, I've driven to, to out to places to inspect for people that are out of towners. Right. But uh, I think that's the most important thing you can do is find an independent person to inspect that car. Just tell you what it needs. Not affiliated with maybe the shop that the customer or the, the current owner has. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can get an unbiased opinion because they're with the value of the cars going up so high. And there's also those unscrupulous people who are looking to cash in sure. on that quick market and just patch it together with bubble gum and duct tape. And then you're going to be none the wiser. Yeah. That's always, that's, that's kind of like for me, it's kind of a sore spot. And it's funny is I've interviewed, thousands of people on the podcast all right maybe a dozen but nonetheless uh, i've interviewed people on the podcast and, and there's this there's this reoccurring theme that people that get in the vw scene they start with like a 72 or a 74 and then they got to shake out the cool and get into something that's cool and i feel kind of lucky because my first volkswagen was a 62 bug you know what i mean so it's like I never went into the Super Beetles, and, and, not, and not that it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I would love to build a Super Beetle German look car, which I could do someday soon coming up if I find a pristine car that needs a set of wheels. And uh, I guess the extent of customization that I I've got the time to do anymore. I know where one is. So, um, actually, matter of fact, there's a 68, the silver 68 parks inside of your shop, 68, 69, the silver one. On the road, I don't know when your guys drives that thing. Oh yeah, that's uh, mm. Bryce's. Mm. That mm. car, mm. the stance. I'm telling you, I'm not. This is not a joke. I- I'm serious. This is not a joke. It looks great. The stance on. The, I mean, listen, it's it's a faded, Krylon silver with black MP8 spokes. I get it, man. The stance on that car is like classic '80s. Like I look at Cadillac. it, I'm like, yeah, I like that car. I like that car. That was like, my '72 Super Beetle. <clears throat> Long hood. Yeah. Lowered. Yeah. Had a 32 NDIX carburetor on a 1641. Boom. Chrome manifold. Ooh. Yeah. So. um, Chrome western wheels with the round holes in it all the way around. Yeah. We call those modulars. (laughs) Modulars. So, um, no, but I think think it's cool, man. I'm stoked that, uh, I'm stoked that I know you. Um, and then I met you in that we're not only we're friends, but you're a VW guy. That's been like to the core, like the stuff that excites me. You're like, yeah, big deal. Oh, you needed this 1972 scat catalog here, dude. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the attic was like the craziest place going to the beetle oh, barn. Gosh. You'd go up there. There's like roller bearing, you know, 1200 CC cranks. Yeah, and I all- gave the Shaley brothers one of my roller cranks. I yeah. was like, it was an SPG. Yeah. And in still in the foam container. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, you guys got anything for our, our museum that we're putting together? I was like, oh, you can take one of those roller cranks if you want. Yeah. And they're yeah. like, really? The Schley brothers, yeah. I said, you're not going to get rid of it, are you? You're to keep that thing. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it was, it, it's cool that, I, that I've got to know you. We've become really good friends. 
Um, but I think it, it's so cool the history that that you're actually connected to because, like I said, if you go back into the '60s, all those VW shops are gone. Mm. Beetle Barn's still around through all the evolutions of whatever. You're still in the scene and in the hobby, and it's it's great that even even though you've got a smaller shop with a smaller facility, you still have the hidden yard of all the stuff that probably every six months someone sends me a text message like, bro. I found this yard out here. Check it out. All these Volkswagens. I'm like, that's my buddy Justin's yard. Leave it alone. Just keep going. And then they're like, you know this guy? You know everyone. I'm like, no, it's just the same guy. <laughs> same guy, different location. But, uh, you know, it, it was so cool to, like, to go in the attic and just see all that stuff. Just sitting there brand in the box that never sold or whatever it was. Mm. And it's and it was it was really interesting to me to see so much of that stuff and and i thought all that stuff was so cool and a couple pieces you gave me and whatnot you know the that sweet spring alex steering wheel that that will find its way into a car because that wheel what i love about it is so cool and it's really unique nobody has one i mean it may go in the square back if it if if it will fit in the square back without a dish because it's a flat wheel wasn't gonna go in my oval but we know what happened in the oval so um but uh so people want to come. People want to come see you. They want to come check you out. They know where to get you. You got a website. Yep, beetlebarn.com. Beetlebarn.com, and then you're still doing. So you'll do pre-purchase inspections for people you work on. Still work on all the air-cooled stuff. Oh yeah, it's out there. Nine fourteens, anything air-cooled, VW, you work on, and then uh, even buses, Westies, all that stuff up to modern-day Audis. I've seen modern-day Audis up in your place. Yeah. So we try to keep up with with the modern cars. We go to technical training it's offered through our part supplier so we learn on the direct injection and the diesels and i mean it's important yeah to keep on uh, on top of that uh because there is a need you know the town needs to have a straight shooting shop that's willing to help out and so do you have uh, so do you have any volkswagens you're building for yourself yeah it's any it's always i mean i'm not the best guy at getting stuff done in a timely manner we all agree right that uh justin's time schedule is more like mother nature right you know the development of fungus the grand canyon probably took place faster than my restoration but i got a 65 panel van yeah that we finished painting and i just need to finish assembling it well, panel's so complicated, all the windows and everything like that. Yeah. So, yeah, and, see why uh, that yeah. Takes so long. There's a lot of cars. I got a lot of cars. I just, the 62, I think the 62 double door panel is really the one I want to get done Yeah. real bad. Uh, but it's uh, so rusted that I have to change all the panels. It's just one that's out of the yard. Yeah. But that's different than the panel that you have that's painted at your shop. Yeah, that's different, 65. That, you have that, all the parts and pieces for that remember, panel? That panel's the one that we that saw in. Barstow. Which one? When we're going to sell your uh, 912. We were driving out to That's Bakersfield. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, pull over. And we, we kept going. I, I saw a panel in the backyard. Right. You're like, no way. You didn't see nothing. Anyway, when my wife and I went to Disneyland via Bakersfield. We yeah, because that's there, the way you go. And I stopped and put my, well, my sister lives in Bakersfield. Sure. We, I stopped to put a card on his fence. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I'm interested in buying your VW Call me, please. Uh, it was three months later when I got a call, and he's like, "Hey, this is Buttons." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, hey, Buttons. I don't know who this hey, is." Hey, Buttons. This is Jacket. He's. I said, "I don't know who you are. Who is this?" And he's like, "Buttons, Mitchell. You 
You, I remember the guy's name because who's going to forget buttons? He says, you put a card on my fence. You said you wanted to buy my van. I couldn't even remember. I was like, nice. what? And then finally it clicks. Oh, that's right. So oh, that was a story in of itself. We agree. I, I said, yeah, I'll buy it. Mm-hmm. And so we agree on a price. So I drive out there. And I don't know. He's a busy guy, apparently. Because when I get out there on our scheduled appointment to pick up the car, mm-hmm. nothing has been done to clear the debris between the vehicle and the front gate. Right. So it is just packed with all kinds of stuff. Not to mention when we open up the van in true van fashion. You call it a van one more time. I'm kicking you. It's a bus. I'm only doing that because I know it irritates you. Go ahead. Uh, Inside this van is paneled with wood. Uh And on that wood is about every centerfold that's ever appeared in a porn magazine plastered from front to back top to bottom the whole thing and not only that but there was probably six seven milk crates full of classic classic porn magazines i'm like bro i gotta go you know like you pulled up thinking you pulled up thinking like i'm gonna load this thing and get out of here trailer i had spare tires trailer we'll go and there it was oh it took me three and a half hours and it was a nasty storm coming. That's always, that's always fun. And I said, I just hooked on that thing finally with my truck, took my trailer off, hooked on with the truck, and dragged it through everything he had. You remember the story it. at the beginning of this podcast, right? Where your dad took, took the bus and put it against a milk truck? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Remember what I said? Yep. Uh, but that was a good find. That yeah. was a good, good bus. Well, there's always, I mean, you know, that's, that's the thing anymore. I still think this, especially the West Coast out here, everything's so spread out. That there's still little finds everywhere, you know, especially when you drive through central Nevada and you see all these weird little towns where it's like, you know, because in the desert, air-cooled stuff, it survives and it keeps going. So I think uh, there's still plenty of stuff out there. If you guys are out there hearing uh, hearing us chat about this stuff and you got any cool finds that you got a good deal on, I'd love to hear about the $100 buys and all that kind of stuff because that's the way it should be in the VW scene. But uh, if you got something posted on our Let's Talk Dubs Facebook page, but uh, Justin, so any, any parting words you want to leave us with? We've been at this, we've been at this hammering out for a little bit here. So uh, I'm gonna leave you with my favorite quote. Remember, the ox is slow, but the earth is patient. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Totally. I get it. I get it. Totally. So, oh, very cool, man. Well, cool. Anybody wants to hit you up? Do you have an Instagram? You have an Instagram connected to the Beetle Barn? Uh, yeah. Beetle Barn underscore. Beetle Barn underscore is your Instagram. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Beetle Barn is your website. And then people, if they're in town, Las Vegas, coming to visit you, they can come check you out down at 4970 Arville. Uh, once again, I'd like to thank my buddy Justin for coming in. We'll get him in for some more stories. We may drag him in every now and again for some VW, Las Vegas VW history. We might have to put together maybe a little collection of a, a couple, maybe two, three-minute blurb of what's going on with Volkswagen history from the 60s and 70s brought to you by the beetle barn so justin thanks for coming in on the podcast man i appreciate you, you you're a good buddy you're a great pal and uh you're you're a good time to be around so uh everybody uh, appreciate you guys listening thanks for supporting the podcast and make sure you guys go like our facebook page uh share the podcast with your friends go on to itunes rate it give it five stars and uh help grow our listening base on the podcast Again, everybody, I appreciate everything you're doing. Check out my buddy Beetle Barn at, Beetle buddy, at BeetleBarn.com. 
And uh, remember, let's talk dubs. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a